Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, December 22nd, 2023. Joining me for today's podcast are John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities and Tom's Guide, Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other wonderful publications, and Rob Pegarero, who writes about tech developments at PC Magazine, Fast Company, and other wonderful publications, too. Happy holidays, guys. Merry Christmas. How are each of you doing today as we, you know, got two days left before the big day? Oh, Merry Christmas. Happy, uh, happy, happy Merry. Holidays. Yeah. Well, this is our last podcast uh, for the year. Um, we haven't actually chatted in about six days, which is my fault. I'll be the first one to tell you that. But I did want to rope you guys in because, you know, 2023 was an interesting year uh, on a variety of different levels. Interesting is doing so much work. <laughs> well, without interesting, you guys would not exist. You would not have a profession <laughs> unless things were interesting. So what I what I asked uh, each of the uh, my fine uh, participants to do is to come up with a tech topic or two on what they thought was the um, the big news. I don't think any, <laughs> this will be a surprise to anyone. So without any further ado, let me bring the, our first topic up. AI obviously was a big story. It's gonna be a bigger story, I think even in 2024 and a variety of different levels. You know, from, I look at it because I'm, you know, here located in the Bay Area, every Silicon Valley Silicon company is, is doing AI Silicon in all kinds of different ways, whether it's local, whether it's solutions in the cloud, uh, for data centers, you know, AMD and NVIDIA have got some wonderful solutions that are competing fiercely with each other. You've got AMD now and Intel, you know, kind of battling right now to come up with something called uh, AI on the edge in PCs, which I th we'll talk a little bit about that, I think, and that I don't think, I think AI at a PC level is still kind of a work in progress. Not, I don't think there's a lot of folks convinced that, oh, I have to go out and buy a PC with AI silicon to go out and buy, uh, to, to utilize AI in some way. Uh, you've got Qualcomm, of course, who's been doing some really wonderful thing at the smartphone level, but it's been an interesting area, and um, and not and we're not I'm not, I'm not even chatting about you know the thing that I've been harping about the privacy issues and deep fakes and we ain't seen nothing yet you know I can, we're going to see some really fun stuff but with that kind of a setup, uh, Stuart, let me start with you. You know what when you think of AI, you know what 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 jumped out at you in two thousand twenty three. Well, there is such an enormous digital divide on the attitudes towards AI. You hear a lot of in the mainstream media, you know, t nightly TV news broadcast about Terminator 2 coming. My, my analogy what would be for old of, for those old of us to remember Colossus, the Forbin project. Um, oh um, but, but, on the, but on the industry side, the side that we're on, there couldn't be more excitement about the possibilities of AI. CES is pushing AI. Um, I just did a piece for twice and all the executives I spoke to asking what were going to be the big stories. Every single one of them said, oh, I, AI is going to be this great thing for technology. It's going to help our products perform better. They're going to have better interfaces. And so this Jekyll and Hyde attitude in the mainstream media, within political circles um, and legislative circles and on the tech side, the gap could not be wider 
about what the attitudes in it, the positive, the negatives. And it's really difficult to get your head around because there's so many different versions of AI. So it's really hard to say AI and mean one thing. So I think the big story of the year isn't necessarily AI in toto, but this real divide between the attitude towards it, the people who are absolutely dead rabbit afraid of it, and those on the tech side who are embracing it full force. Now, John, I made a, a comment as I opened this topic uh, about AI not really, hasn't really found its, um, really hasn't gotten a lot of traction yet at the PC level. You know, Microsoft with Copilot, they've been very clear, you know, Copilot and by extension AI is right. going to be the thing that they're betting on in terms of the way to keep Windows 11 and future versions of Windows, you know, vibrant and exciting. But I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think my, even Microsoft so far, I think is struggling a bit with kind of coming up with the value proposition that let me go out and buy a PC with rise you know, with a Ryzen chip from AMD, which has now AI. It's had actually AI capabilities for some time, but they're doing they're putting more and more of that. Uh, Intel's doing the same thing. They had a big announcement last week in terms of AI everywhere. So specific to the topic of AI locally on PCs, why isn't isn't it a thing yet? I mean. Because you, you, uh, you can't really do it on a PC. I mean, generative AI, the li large language models, or you need to do it on these, you know, grid computing, distributed computing kind of networks. Well, now they have them in data warehouses, but that's basically the same thing that they've been doing for decades. Um, so, I mean, I've used Copilot, and <laughs> it's it doesn't work. Okay, I want to be the guy who says, "Look, the emperor has no clothes." Right? AI. They've been using it in autonomous vehicles for a decade or more it doesn't solve the problem, right? It can't work. Um, you've been using chat GPT. Yeah, you go write a, a school, do a paper on that. Uh, you're not going to do very well, okay? And it's going to hallucinate an awful lot, which is basically get basic facts wrong. They're out there on the internet that you can search and any person can search and correct. So it's really not working yet. And I'm not sure that it's this kind of AI is ever going to work better because it's based on this large language model. It wasn't based on, and that's just guessing about what the next word is and how to put a sentence together. That's not the same thing as understanding what, you know, a cancerous growth looks like or something. It's great on pattern recognition. It could really cut corners in healthcare and help some to look for new ways, but it can't fold proteins properly. You know, so it's it's got, it's really not there yet. I'm not sure it's ever going to be there. This this version of AI, to Stuart's point, you know, there's a lot of other ways to do artificial intelligence. So help me, this one isn't the one. And and then there's the issue, which I know Rob is going to bring up, which was like Sam Altman, he owes me money, right? He <laughs> owes us money because he's just screen scraping our articles and stuff and just coming up with other articles. Right. So it's like, hey, where's my 50 cents? Where's your cut? Yeah, where's my cut? And there's some legal cases going that, and Rob's probably better to address that stuff. Well, the question I have for Rob, you can address that question, but the question I have for Rob is the company that's conspicuously absent, and they're not really absent, which I'm sure is a point that it's going to make, <laughs> is Apple. Apple. No, no, you, you don't you know Apple with all their announcements over the last year. You know, AI is a phrase that's, that's rarely said. I'm not even sure they said AI in their last, um, no. but they are doing AI. They certainly have silicon that is very AI capable. Um, I just uh, got a brand new MacBook M3 Max 
And not only is it a beast from a performance standpoint, I mean, I, there are certain applications I'm using that are AI-based applications that I just know intuitively are, are just are performing much faster. But naturally, there's really not a lot of AI goodness yet in macOS or in iOS, except for little things like, which they've had for some time, like eye gaze correction that's been part of FaceTime for a long, but so the, the, they've got silicon that's that's kind of, you know, certainly can perform those kind of capabilities, but specific to the Apple question and AI, Rob, do you think that <clears throat> Apple's just waiting for the right moment? Are they trying to differentiate themselves? You know, they like to rebrand things. I'm not even sure they're gonna call AI, AI, they'll come up with some type of Apple, other phrase to describe it. What are your thoughts though, relative to Apple and AI? Well, AI continued to be crucial in 2023. I'm oh, sorry, that's what ChatGPT told me to say. Uh, <laughs> Apple, good question. They historically, yeah. where you see AI, or what you could also just call, you know, really smart and useful software, is in narrow focused areas like, um, you know, extracting text from images. So you can, or patterns from images. So you can open the Photos app and without having remembered to caption something or put a file name on it, it will actually find what was in it. The same thing that Google Photos was able to do for a long time. Um, I think until you start to see it emerge in Siri, whatever work Apple is doing is going to remain largely invisible because if you just see your photo editing app or um, you know language transcription, whatever, work better than it did before, you don't think, oh, I have an AI on this computer. You just think, oh, okay, there's a software upgrade. That's a nice feature to have. And of course so, it doesn't help that Apple doesn't have a search engine. People don't go to its site to perform a task except shop for Apple products. So right. they don't have any sort of public stage the way OpenAI does, the way Microsoft does, the way Google yeah. board. On the upside, that means Apple hasn't had a chance to lie to me. <laughs> directly the way Google Bard has had multiple times. Right. So, so, but do you fully expect Apple to embrace AI in a much more visible way next year? Uh, I think they'll probably find their own way to do it because they, they often, they, they try not to get too lumped into, you know, a particular tech pattern. They don't want to be seen as a follower. That's for sure. Right. right. No, I, I fully, I, I fully expect that. And again, you know, you'll remember the days when um, uh, thirteen ninety four came out because I remember being at at at, at Compaq and that was the first high speed interface where you could transfer digital Firewire. Firewire. And they called it Firewire. Firewire. You know, much and, better branding. I had, well, I had to think, what does thirteen ninety four mean? And I should know that. Right. And well, and they're still doing it today. You know, you don't go out and get a UV, USB C four cable. You have to use Thunderbolt. It's Thunderbolt four. You know, so they have they have a pension for rebranding things that suit their um, you know suit their evil marketing purposes. So yes, we know in early next year, Samsung is going to be introducing the new Galaxy S twenty fours, and there have already been substantial leaks that there is going to be a lot of AI in Samsung's own operating system on the phones that cover over on on Android. And my guess is that at Samsung's press event at CES, you're probably going to hear a lot about this, the development of AI interface for Galaxy phones. Yes. I will be at that press conference. Should I do a shot every time they say AI? <laughs> if they allow you to bring oh, alcohol in. <laughs> Rob, if that's true, we're going to have to carry you out of the convention yes. center. Let us go back to my second favorite topic. And, you know, full disclosure, <laughs> John Quain's is, per, is personal friends with Elon Musk. He hangs out yeah. with him all the time. 
Uh, they they party all day long in San Francisco when 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 John is out. <laughs> now, you'll notice that I was very careful when I I crafted this this headline because I'm of the belief. Well, you know there is a lot of bad to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter. There was some good. I don't know if I'll get agreement from my three colleagues here on the call, but you know for me. You know, his acquisition of Twitter, well, first of all, it's been entertaining and it, guys, it keeps you guys employed uh, and because of, of all his antics. But there was a lot of shenanigans going on at Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. that he revealed. Good bet. You know, and I think I think a fair-minded person, like all three of you are, I think would admit that. I know Stuart's looking at the sky. But, you know, I think there was some goodness there. Now, you, I'm sure that John is going to tell me because I'm going to let John tee off right now. <laughs> I mean... Like a certain ex-president, his you know he you know gets puts his foot in his mouth when he comes out with some of these cl- crazy tweets that sometimes he has to back off of, even though Trump never backs off on on, on social media posts. But anyway, John, I'll turn it over to you. And I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna cover my ears, but go ahead. Well, I finally you know I I finally had to abandon uh, X or Twitter as Twitter as everybody knows it. We have to keep saying it like Prince. Um, but, uh, I, I finally had to just because ethically I couldn't stay on it. I think the, the big problem with it has been, um, you know, the abandonment of facts and there are facts, right. And that, and that was probably Elon Musk, big, you know, um, Achilles heel COVID stuff. He was a COVID denier and said it wasn't serious. And then, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are dying. It's like, but kind of serious. And yes, it's actually happening. And. So that kind of disinformation, and, and you alluded to, you know, the previous leaders of Twitter taking the facts into account, saying, yeah, maybe we shouldn't allow people to spread, you know, dis- disinformation and kill people online. So that was my, you know, that's that was sort of the start of the Elon Musk stuff. And then there's the reference to anti-Semitic hate speech and stuff online, which he did do and which he cited as being correct. And then, that, you know, and then Alex Jones, who, of course, has been, you know, um, the purveyor of lies extraordinaire and owes, what, a billion dollars to these, you know, people did die and these poor kids were murdered and uh, and and he let him back on Twitter. Um, now, I know that's all for money. That's all for Elon's bottom line. He knows that somebody like that generates a lot of traffic and stuff, but um, it's so harmful and it costs people's lives that you really can't ethically you know support something like that that's pretty much elon's problem and he's been great at spacex people are wondering well what about there's this discombobulation like wait spacex is really doing well and because he doesn't have anything to do with it right (laughs) he hired people from orbital (laughs) science he hired a bunch of rocket scientists and he said go do this stuff they do that stuff no interference from you know so but the bottom line i think is something other people are talking about too is Social media may be over. There's a lot of talk, not on social media, ironically, <laughs> that it, that it may be over, and and that the disintegration of it. This may be sort of the start of the unraveling of all that stuff as the internet gets even more dispersed. But that's just you know what I'm opinion. Well, yeah. So I, I see. The funny thing is, I agree with you when you talk like that. <laughs> Which is really one of, the, one of the things I really dislike about you intensely, but the um, but the, 
you know, free speech, as you know, John, you got to take the good and the bad. Fire, but you can't yell fire in a theater, and that's what he was been doing. I mean, oh, I that's will, the problem. Oh, I, no, I, I, I will. I'm, yeah. I'm very, very familiar with that analogy. You know, right? Because we, we talk about all sorts of different topics, and uh, you know, you can have a different opinions about, you know, whether there should be a base minimum wage and all sorts of things like that. There's no fact there, but these are facts, right? And this actually costs lives, unfortunately, for those people. And um, so that that's really the heart of the problem. You can do all sorts of other things, but, you know, that's not what we're... Well, a person who is always well-grounded in facts is Rob Peguerero. Would love to get his perspective on this. Um, so but, I too, go, go, Rob, go, Rob. I too swore off Twitter publicly. Alex Jones was the last of many straws. He is despicable, reprehensible, and it is inexcusable to let him back on. And then Elon had him on his Twitter space or X space. That's the unfortunate disgraceful, contemptible. And that was on top of him. Musk has basically been considering his reputation over the last year as if it were strapped down below a Falcon 9 launch pad at liftoff, uh, amplifying discredited conspiracy lies like Pizzagate, uh, being a reply guy to some of the absolute stupidest, most bigoted people on the Internet. Sure. And the other thing we got to point out is just looking at it in business terms, what's my motivation to be on X? The last story I shared, I, I have still have 18,000, almost 19,000 followers. This one had 591 impressions and 11 click-throughs. It's literally not worth my time to spend time. Right, right. Um, and, and his whole argument doesn't hold up. This is not a First Amendment issue until Twitter.com or X.com becomes Twitter.gov or X.gov. There's no First Amendment right at play at all here. It's a private platform. You can do what you want with it same as there's no first amendment right to be a guest on here or to post a comment on any anywhere this video appears and so yeah i just couldn't deal with it anymore and it is unfortunate because twitter was really useful over the years as a public notebook as a way to find sources to get reader feedback and i don't know that blue sky is the one i've spent the most time on as of now you, you can at least view it publicly without having an account you can't post without an invite code yet, but that's coming soon. I don't know, and I expect it will never play the same role Twitter had. Mastodon certainly won't. I kind of hope Threads doesn't because I spent enough time on meta-owned platforms already, and that company's past conduct with respect to the media doesn't give me any hope that I, as a journalist, will find that to be a sustainable, trustworthy platform over the long term. But... Yeah, you want me to say something good? Community notes is a good no, idea. No, no, you, you've, you've, seen, said, and... you've, you've said enough, Stuart. Uh, said <laughs> enough. Never enough with this guy. No, but here's he the thing: we, multitudes. We watched John. He'll come back, I'm sure, because he frequently calls in from a um, a place with bad internet connectivity. But I guess the observation, Stuart, I would make to you: apparently, John and Rob thinks that Elon Musk should be put on trial for war crimes against humanity. I mean. The point I'm making, there is some good he's done. I know, and and conveniently, that never came up in any of Rob's comments or John's comments. Well, no, in terms of the fact, not not SpaceX. I'm putting this aside. Yeah. I'm talking about Twitter. There was some skullduggery. There was some um, unseemly partnering with the prior management of Twitter, with the federal government, to skew information a certain way. We can talk all day long about the, the laptop from hell. 
that you know, the Twitter played a role in suppressing that information at the behest of certain political figures. And again, that and I'll be the first one to concede those good things may not be sufficient enough to offset the the plentiful list of bad things apparently um, Rob and John have talked about. But do you understand where I'm coming from? I'm I'm being completely obtuse. Uh, Mark, you, Mark, Mark, you, ignorant swine. All of those things taken into account just don't address the overarching. How do I put this? I've never been a Twitter fan. I have not spent a lot of time on it simply because they they don't obey the same rules of the roads that all of us have to obey when we publish material. And that to me is always been the biggest problem with social media is its unfiltered nature and its and its ability or unwillingness to act in the broader public interest as opposed to its own private corporate self. And the unfiltered access that it provides is not necessarily a good thing, regardless of who's doing the posting, whether it's the federal government trying to hide things, whether it's individuals sending out death threats to judges in Colorado. It, to me, the unfettered nature of it, the fact that people can come on anonymously and just blow their horn. And I can't tell you how many times people have said, well, I've heard X, Y, and Z. Well, where'd you hear that? <laughs> I saw it on social media. I'm going, I'm sorry. Come to me when you have at least two confirmable sources for that ridiculous statement that you just made. So I, I when Jack Dorsey, I actually met Jack Dorsey when he was pitching this at Ellen Stardust Diner on 6th Avenue in Manhattan way back when and when he was first pitching it. And to me, the problems just popped out of my head immediately was you're just going to let anybody say whatever they want, regardless of its veracity. And that's with no guardrails. And I'm going, I don't even understand that as a going concern. So Elon Musk has simply unleashed the worst part of it where that's all concerned. And so I've largely, for all of these years, I, I have an account. I might have a couple of thousand followers, but I honestly cannot remember the last time I actually posted yeah. anything to Twitter. It just- no, I, I, I think the point Rob made is a good one, is that really the only reason to be on it, assuming it performs for you, and in, in Rob's case, apparently it's not, despite the fact that he has a, 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 you know, de- a decent following list, is that there are people clicking through. Or, or enforcing what it's kind of turned into a platform uh, that you know people are just using there to vent. They just vent, and they say, and and as you know, the internet is you know the the, the crazier things that you say, that's what gets the clicks, right? You know, and unfortunately, that's the situation. But we'll be talking about it a lot more, I'm sure, in 2024. Rob, this is an interesting topic. This is your baby. Um, it's and a I great story. It's a Christmas present to you all. No, and it, well, it, it is a great story because part of it, you know, when you kind of look back, 2023 was it was supposed to be the year of 5G, and I don't think it got even remotely close to delivering on the potential for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, the the hyperbole was over the top that you know 5G was going to replace uh, replace cable in your home and. You'll, you'll talk about this for a second, but interestingly enough, it has made some inroads in terms of uh, a broadband uh, broadband displacement. So 
let, let's talk a little bit about your article and you know your your perspective on the topic. Yeah. So year after year after year, you'd see who signed up for broadband over the last 12 months. And it would always be cable companies getting the overwhelming majority of that subscriber growth. And that changed this year. Uh, cable subscriber growth has basically stalled, in some cases receded. And instead, Americans by the millions have been signing up for fixed wireless home 5G from T-Mobile and Verizon and AT&T started selling its own fixed wireless Internet Air product uh, second half of this year. So I think this is great. Multiple reasons. Number one, competition has been so absent in residential broadband. So many people have been handcuffed to the local cable monopoly and there's nothing you can do about it. When you're a monopoly, you can do all sorts of customer hostile things like charging for the modem, increase the rent for the modem year after year, impose a data cap. that's not grounded in the realities of your network infrastructure. When there's competition, you can't get away with that. That said, I'm still waiting for Comcast to recognize that its, it's data cap is kind of a lie and it's just a rent-seeking mechanism for them. But this is great. Um, and it's one case where 5G has actually lived up to the hype because I sure can't say that about 5G making self-driving cars possible or robot surgery or robot surgery and self-driving cars. But it's let Americans fire their cable company, which that's not nothing. Right. Well, you know, I, you, I think you... Um succinctly stated that like in my case i don't have a choice it's comcast or you know i don't even i don't i I could probably use i I could probably use starlink but that 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 would that would not be my uh that would not be my go-to solution for a whole bunch of different reasons but (laughs) but but the, the reality is is that you know i think 5g has enormous upside potential uh, I think competition is always a great thing. You know, uh, I would love to be able to get rid of my $200 cable bill, you know, or at least, you know, be able to get a deal given the fact that I, you know, I, I get my wireless from um, AT&T, uh, but it's still taking time to get to that promised land. By the way, with the performance levels that I need, which are not trivial, you know, I, I can't get, I can't do podcasts with a, you know, sub hundred megabit download speed. I've got to be at the gigabit, um, or or north of that, and with, with hopefully uh, symmetric speeds. And unfortunately, I don't even have that yet. Right. Uh, but um, John, what's your perspective on the whole? Um, I mean, God knows you've had your own sets of challenges with trying to get uh, good connectivity in your vacation home uh, in uh, Vermont. But do, do you have a view on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The the rural challenges is, is a been a, a question that's been going on for you know twenty years or something now, trying to get a solution out there. I think one of the first New York Times stories I did decades ago was about trying to get internet access at my house in Vermont. That's what it was about. Um, And here we are still 20 years later going, oh, man. (laughs) Uh, So Rob's got a point, though. I mean, if there was a silver lining to 5G, I mean, all the hype, it didn't do any of the stuff that it said it was going to do. And and most of it was if you looked at the technology at the time, I kept saying to the people and I had somebody yelling at me and at a meeting in Washington, D.C., I recall, because I said this, it was like, it can't do these things. And you have to put in multiple towers. Like if you want millimeter wave, you need to put in even more towers. And people are resistant to putting in the towers they got. It's going to be even harder. And now you can't reach the countryside at all because you couldn't reach them before with the towers. Now you need even more. So it was doesn't help people in the countryside at all, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. it does do this one thing. This is this weird thing that people weren't really... Hyping. They weren't talking about that when we first did this. 
So this fixed wireless, you know, you can I can put it in my window behind me here in New York City and I can get uh, broadband fixed wireless. It's just it's really amazing because I can get rid of <laughs> I call it Spectre, but Spectrum. <laughs> and I, I got yeah, so I mean, Rob follows this a lot more closely. The rest of us are just testers and users of this stuff and reviewers of it. But yeah, I want to know. Like Xfinity just upped my bill, thirty dollars a month for no reason. That just just because it's on the bill. I just noticed it. And I'm like, so I have to call them. Like you guys and go, okay, why the extra? Okay, let's get them off. And yeah, I think Rob's right. It's the it's this this uh, little gift Christmas gift. Yeah, the industry just had to dump millimeter wave as the center of anyone's wireless strategy and go with midband spectrum, which wasn't part of the initial roadmap. But T-Mobile right. did that. Huge upside from them buying Sprint. Like that merger, I think, has right. totally done people a lot of good. And then Verizon and AT&T have gotten their own midband spectrum. If you see stories about C-band, that's what it's all about. And that has that range that millimeter wave does not and never will have. Right, right. And it's fast enough. Well, I don't know if it's fast enough. That's uh, that's a debatable. Yeah. It's a connection, but yeah. Yeah. But better, we'll but better, than, L, better than Not L. for tech weirdos like us, maybe. But no, a friend of mine has it. <laughs> yeah. Virginia's northern neck. He's got 250 down, 50 up, which for residential broadband, that's, that's fine. That's better than what a lot of people can get it from anybody in a lot of places in the U.S. Stuart, any closing thoughts on this topic? Well, I mean, the problem that 5G even fixed wireless has is obviously the download speeds. I mean, the average cable thing, I think I just saw a report from Ookla that, that mentioned that average broadband speed or from cable companies is over 200 megabits per second. But the average speed that you get from the fixed 5G from mobile, from T-Mobile, which I think is the fastest, is just over 100 megabits per second. And it's only about half that in rural areas. So there is a back and forth that seems to be going on. People leave cable. They pick up the, the fixed wireless, realize they're not getting the speeds that they need and go back again. I just suspect that this is going to be an ongoing issue um, until for another 10 years. You also, the other thing I noticed that that 5G for phones hasn't even reached 50% in the U.S. yet. Yes. So the last figure I heard was the end of 2022 that only 29% of phone owners had a 5G phone. So 5G right. really even hasn't made it into the mainstream yet to a certain extent. Um, so it, it may take a decade and 6G with its uh, with its much higher frequency bands and, and the C-band frequencies to get... Still, um, you, you had to say six G. <laughs> it's. I, I mean, I'm not the only. I'm not saying it. Other people are saying it, and apparently, it's it's in development, and it's going to be. Yes, it is. It sure is. Why, why, why don't you put? A I'm not going to live to see it, but you know. Let, let, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Wi-Fi seven too while we're at it. So, yeah, exactly. Anyway, on, it's on the roadmap. That's all I can say. You know as well as I do that we were talking about five G for a decade before it actually happened. The words right. that every tech reporter wants to hear, it's on the roadmap. Just remember right. that, that common phrase. Been hearing it for 40 years. Let, let's talk about this last- Speaking of which. Speaking <laughs> of which. Well, here's the thing. You know, I, I you know, 2023 was the year that Apple, you know, they, they finally, you know, you know, pulled up, pulled back the Kimona and uh, they announced Vision Pro. Has, it's it's you know there have been some I'm sure you've read the stories. It looks like they are going to ship units in in, uh, in February. Um, I know some people who are 
I won't uh, mention their names because they would get into trouble, but Apple's already underway uh, over the holidays. You're going to see them start retooling the, uh, uh, the uh, Apple stores for um, uh, presenting this product because they, Apple is not going to treat this like, oh, it's an accessory. That This is going to become a very prominent part of the Apple retail store um, strategy because they know this is not going to be a impulse buy, especially at 3,500 bucks. And that by itself is going to, is going to hold um, uh, people back regardless of what, what type of marketing story they do. But you know what, what you know, I, and I really think we'll find out in the first half, you know, whether the Apple's got something here, are there, is that killer app out there, which probably will not come from Apple that will rationalize, Hey, you know what? I, it's worth spending 3500 bucks on it. Or, by the way, when the price points come down, that'll be the first thing I go out and get because, you know, it's like Lotus 1, 2, 3 back in the 80s. I had, I had to go out and buy an IBM PC to run this wonderful spreadsheet graphics. I think it was, what was it? a database application? I think that was the other part of Lotus 1, 2, 3. But, Stuart, are you, are you op- I don't want to talk about price point, but are you optimistic that <laughs> Apple is going to have something there? You yeah. know? make it no, compelling i'm sorry this is <laughs> this is an ongoing thing for me on the psychology side of people putting things on their eyes and there hasn't been a technology product yet i mean the new echo frames or the the ray-ban meta glasses may be different because you can put prescription lenses on them and wear them like regular glasses but having people put things on their eyes how long have we heard about how big a deal that vr was going to be and except for gamers, it's just not a mainstream product. So I, it's great technology. I just don't see people putting things on their eyes to do things that they don't need to do or can do without <laughs> it. It's just well, 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 hold on. I'm I'm going to throw this hand grenade at at, at Rob. <laughs> Rob, because you, you and I have talked about this. And Apple will never talk about it, or they won't talk about it on the record. You know that the killer app for this is probably going to be adult material. I, I yeah, Apple doesn't do that, so no, I know. Well, yeah. I know, but but my point is, adult material. I'm being very very eloquent when I say that. That put the VCR on the map. That put the DVD on the map. That put it didn't put VR on the map. Is there any adult material for VR? No, no, but Stuart, let me stop well, you because well, I have, yes, I, but, I, I have yeah. seen the de- I have seen sure the demos. <laughs> I have seen the demos. This is not amateur hour VR. I mean, the <laughs> hardware, the hardware in this product is capable of delivering an incredibly lifelike, immersive experience. So, I, I agree with you theoretically on the existing technology that's out there, but I just think that, frankly, you know, there, there's going to be a community of people who buy this. You know, for applications that Apple may not be crazy about. So I know. So Rob, I threw the hand grenade at you. I'm pulling the pin. You know, thirty five hundred bucks is still a huge price. People will buy it. Apple sold a lot of Newton message pads out of the gate, and people are excited about the potential. But that doesn't mean there's a mass market. There might be one later on. I mean, now everyone has a handheld organizer that actually fits in your pocket, and we carry these things around all the time, and nobody thinks it's weird. But you can carry around a phone and it doesn't mean you're isolating yourself from everybody else. I mean, obviously, clearly you are. And we all know what it's like to be staring at your phone. Right. So you step, walk into somebody. Right. Um, yeah, I think I will be really interested to see what the display for this looks like in uh, any Apple story visit. How much real estate are they going to devote to something 
that because of that price will be a tiny fraction of Apple's business for the entire year and will probably remain so for oh, a while. Because one thing Apple doesn't do is steeply cut prices on things. No, they didn't that, introduce that, the that, iPhone that, and then that's, that's the business two years model. later, fifty percent off. Oh, that and that's the business model contradiction because Apple, like a good company, they look at revenue per square foot and in different parts of the retail layout in a very succinct. It's got to be delivering. You know, if we're going to give you ten square feet, put it this way: I don't think they. Can you even buy a Mac Pro in an Apple store? Like, I'm trying to think, where do they have the Mac Studio in the store nearest no, they, me? The last time I ducked no, in they, there. No, they have. They, they have one. In, yeah, no, they have. They sell it there. You know, but like they, very far back corner, because up front it's all iPhones, iPads, MacBooks. But, but to your point, though, they someone who is an, a Mac Studio customer doesn't buy it in an Apple store. They may look at it at an Apple store just to see the form factor, but then they go order it online yeah. and they want a higher end configuration. And in the two minutes we got left, John, what's your thoughts on Vision Pro? Do you think it's going to be a thing? Or if you had to bet money? And I know you like to gamble a lot, so what's your cut? I don't know. It. All those people who can't buy an iWatch, they're going to all go, where's my iWatch? <laughs> and, and Samsung's lawyers are going, oh, I see litigation here now. Um, I, I think <laughs> it's a little, you know, this product is a little um, deceptive. It's definitely everybody read Snow Crash, and we all want that thing. And I've been working on that thing for a long time. So yes, it will be in your glasses and you can call up movies and do all sorts of things and tell it to write a bio for you and send it to the editor. Just ask for another bio that they want to publish of me, you know, et cetera, and do those things on the fly. We've got sort of the basic elements there, but it's a little deceptive in the image that we're looking at right now is not accurate, right? It's not transparent. It's opaque. That's just like a projection on those glasses. So you can't actually see through them. That's a major flaw in the technology as it's presented. So I think this is, it's a seminal moment in some ways, you know, but other people have tried this. Sony had that stuff and, and Stuart and I were in those demos. I had one connected to a PlayStation years ago and it was pretty cool until I got nauseous and then it wasn't so cool. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I think this is... You know, this is the beginning of something. When it, it'll achieve it is is a, another question. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to get there. And and Stuart also alluded to the the Facebook slash Meta glasses. You know, it's another step on the way to getting there. Well, guys, let, let's uh, wrap it up there. We're, we're going to talk more about Vision Pro in 2024. I suspect I could be <laughs> wrong about that, but I'm sure we'll we'll chat about that again. Uh, guys, for thanks for taking the time to joining me for today's podcast for a viewing and listening audience. Thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these convenient on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, John Quain's favorite uh, social media platform, <laughs> at, at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week and happy holidays to all you guys. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Have a good CES. Happy New Year. Mm -hmm.